Turn your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, if you would please, chapter number 15, Luke chapter number 15. If you don't mind turning there, I trust that you have a copy of God's Word there with you, Luke 15. We'll begin reading out of verse number 11, a very familiar passage of Scripture. As we come to this Father's Day morning, uh, we want to consider some truths from God's Word that I trust that God will uh, help us as we learn to walk closer to our Lord. Luke chapter 15, begin reading in verse number 11. And he, speaking of Jesus... And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to the citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would vain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Let's bow our hearts together and ask God's blessings upon the preaching of His Word. Father, this is Your Word. Lord, I pray for Holy Spirit enabling. I pray for the Holy Spirit to work in every heart and every pew and every individual this morning. And God, I pray that, Lord, that You would draw men to Yourself. Help us to see our need. Help us to see that You are the provider of every need that we have. And I pray that at the end of this service, there'd be ready to obedience, willingness to follow you, to live for you. Lord, help our fathers. Lord, help me. Help our families to be all that you've called us to be and all that you desire us to be in these days. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I've entitled our time together, A Prodigal Son and a Precious Father. A prodigal son and a precious father. Here we have the very familiar, familiar story of a, the prodigal son. Maybe we have read this time and time again, I'm sure. And as we come to this again this morning, as we consider this prodigal son, we also begin to consider 
as we look at the text, the decisions, the decisions that brings one to be a prodigal, the decisions that a prodigal makes in his or her life, and as a prodigal, these decisions that are made that really in essence and in a very fact of a matter of a way, they turn their back upon God. A prodigal that turns their back upon God. And in turning their back upon God, they're also turning their back upon the family. Upon their own family. We see the decisions that, that brings these to pass. These turning away and turning back and breaking of fellowship and so on. Webster's describes a prodigal as a waster. We see that in our text. We read it this bit ago. One that's a waster. One who is reckless in living life. Unrestrained, inordinate, or unreasonable. All these describe very perfectly what a prodigal is. This young man in this story that Jesus tells has left his home to to go into the world. Understand he's not left his home to go into the world in order to reach the world, but he's left his home to go into the world so that he could be like the world. All of us would say that we know how this takes place, and maybe is a time in our life when that was us, that described us, or maybe there are family members or parts of uh, folks that we know, and maybe neighbors, and where someone has left the home, and they go into the world in order to be like the world. In the beginning of our story, we see how that he was chasing after sin. But by the end of the story, we begin to see how that sin caught up to him. While he was chasing sin, there comes a time when sin literally catches up and catches us. Romans 6 and 23, the wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. Many people living outside of God's plan for their lives are chasing after a pleasure. uh, Chasing uh, in nearsightedness. Chasing after a short-lived pleasure that may be in sin. Uh, Short-sightedness. It seems like pleasure, but the pleasure only lasts for a season. Only lasts for a short period of time. There are many that will do this sort of thing, the pleasure in sin never lasts long. Because the Bible tells us that death is the dominant characteristic in sin. The dominant characteristic in sin is death. So the pleasure that one may find in a season of sin will always come to an end. Because the wages of sin... And it is true in every case, the wages of sin is death. This young man in our text, in our story, came to understand what James meant when he said in James 1 in verses 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. This man, this young man had come to this position in his life understanding what that verse means and, and living it out and having it become full force in his life. 
Death always, death always dominates in sin ultimately. Eventually death will always have the last word with regards to sin. Unless a person trusts Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. You see death does not have to be the end of sin because where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Because of Jesus Christ, he came to this earth so that we could be forgiven of our sin. So that we could have our sin debt paid for. But not only the penalty of sin that comes about by way of salvation through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only that penalty, but the bondage of sin. The bondage of sin is broken and by way of the power of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and lives and dwells within the believer. The sins are cleansed. No double jeopardy with God. The sins are cleansed. And then the power to go forth living the Christian life. The power to go forth living for Christ. Because the Holy Spirit indwells us. And as we yield ourselves to that indwelling Holy Spirit, we have the ability to live out fully what God intended for us and to receive all the blessings that God has for us. But unless that person turns to Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, the wage of sin will end in death. That death, the Bible talks about two deaths. There's the physical death, the death that because we uh, live in this flesh, the Bible tells us that by, for as by one man sin in the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. So there's that physical death. But if we don't trust Jesus Christ in this life, then there's the second death, the Bible says, and that is the death of separation. Total forever separation from God in a place the Bible describes as hell. That's Bible. That's Bible truth. So that wage of sin is not only a physical death, but it is also a separation, an eternal death, apart from God in a place called hell. In our Bible text this morning, we have a prodigal son who came to realize the value of his precious father. A prodigal son who came to realize the value of his precious father. I believe this story is a tremendous picture really of all of us. Tremendous picture of all mankind. Really in a sense all men are prodigals. All men, women, boys and girls. We're all prodigals. All born into this world. Sinners. Sinners by choice. Sinners by nature. Uh, running headlong into sin. Uh, running away from God the Father. Running away from God as fast and as hard as we can. Uh, you look around us today in Harrison, Tennessee, in Chattanooga, and around the world. You don't see the multitudes. You don't see the masses of people running toward God. You see the masses of people running from God. If they were running to God, there would be no place for them to sit this morning. We'd all be displaced because there'd be no place to see it. Because this building would be full. 
in every building that's preaching the Bible and the gospel message and the word of God, every one of those buildings would be full if people were seeking after God. Isaiah 53 and 6, For we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone into his own way. Every man says, this is the way that I'm going to go. I don't want to go God's way. I'll go my way. We're not seeking after God. We're seeking after the flesh and the things that do not come of God in this world. Romans 11, 3 and 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Understand that even when you got saved. You're here this morning, you're a born-again believer. You can take your Bible and give a Bible reason. Why, as you know for sure, you have that assurance in your heart. If you die today, heaven's your home. Praise God for that. But even in that, understand that God came seeking you. He came to seek and to save. You weren't seeking God. God was seeking you. And praise God, that's His glory and that's His grace. That's His mercy that He gives to us. He was seeking us. As I mentioned at birth, we're all prodigals. Sinners by nature, sinners by choice. The prodigal is a picture of us all running from God. And then also in this text, we see a precious father. It's a picture of a gracious, kind, loving, merciful, forgiving, heavenly father. I believe this is what we see out of this particular text. He waits, he he loves, and he longs for prodigals to come home. For prodigals to come to him and be saved. If you don't know Jesus Christ again, and I say it over and over again, Jesus is longing for you to come to be a part of his family. You see, you have to be born again. The Bible uses that kind of terminology. A man must be born again. Jesus said you must be born again. You were born first time. That got you onto planet earth. But to get into heaven you'll have to be born the second time. And that's the spiritual new birth that's found only in Jesus Christ. In our heavenly father we have a precious father in heaven that longs for this. That waits for this. And I believe maybe there's someone possibly here in this service this morning. That Jesus is speaking to your heart. Saying, I'm waiting and I'm longing and I'm calling for you to be saved. Second Peter 3 and 9, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This morning, on this Father's Day, I want us to spend some time, if you wouldn't mind please, with your Bibles in your lap and your hearts open to listen to what God has to say and listen to the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, not just by way of a father, but there are mothers here, there are children here, and I encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart as well. Consider the prodigal son and the precious father out of our text. We are first introduced to the family out of verse number 11. He said a certain man had two sons. We see a father and two sons. We're not told about the mother that's particularly It may or may not have been in the home at this time, but certainly there was a mother. We're introduced to the family. Next, we're introduced to the prodigal out of verse number 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falleth to me. 
and he divided into him his living. We're introduced to the family, and then particularly we're introduced to the prodigal. I want us to notice, first of all, with regards to the prodigal, the younger of the two, notice, first of all, there was a demand that was made. A demand that was made. We find that out of verse number 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that befalleth to me. Here we see a demand that was made. Father, give me the portion of the goods that falleth me. This young man demanded an inheritance even before his father had passed away. Demanded an inheritance even before his father had passed away. Understand that as we see later in the text, we did not read this this morning. But the older son comes to the father and he asks, why haven't you killed the fatted calf for me? And the father says to the older son, everything that I have is yours, son. And it would have been true for this young man. Everything that the father had was his. He lived in this home. He partook of everything the father had provided for him in his goodness, of character of the goodness and the preciousness of his father. But this young man, he comes and he says, give to me, give to me. Right out of the gate in verse number 12, we find the problem, we find a selfish attitude of the son. We find the selfish attitude of the son. Notice I've already mentioned it two times. He says, me. Me, give me, give me the goods that befalleth or falleth me. Selfishness, mark it down, selfishness is a telltale sign of rebellion in the heart. A telltale sign of rebellion in the heart. A selfish attitude will likely often start small, but eventually it will grow into a monster that cannot be controlled or contained. It goes like this. I don't care who it hurts. All I care about is me. I don't care what other people say or think. All I care about is what I want. And what I think that I must have. I don't care if it hurts my parents. I don't care if it goes against the family name. I don't care about those people down there at that church. I don't care about my grandparents. All I really matters is me. You see, it's all about me. No one else seems to matter but me and what I want. That is, dear friend, a selfish heart. A selfish heart. There is a big You've heard it said, and it is true, there is a big eye in the middle of sin. That big eye is a selfish heart. I want my way. I want what I want, and I want my way now. A selfish heart not only demands my way, but a selfish heart says, you owe me my way. Not only do we demand our way, but someone else owes me my way. Well, that's not fair. I deserve better. I deserve this. It demands specific rights. He says, give me the portion that falleth me. Not only am I demanding my way, but I'm expecting, expecting you as my family, as my parents, 
to pay my way also. Not only am I demanding my way, but I expect you to pay my way. What he demanded was not what he had earned, understand. What he demanded in inheritance is that which his father had earned. That which his father had worked to gain. Uh, This young man did not work to gain this inheritance. And so often I see and I hear rumbling sometimes and talking about an inheritance and, and, and people and young people demanding from a parent or a grandparent and you give me what's mine. It ought not ever be the case. What was given to him was not his. He did not work for it. His father did. I say to my mother often, I say, Mom, what dad left you is yours to care for you with. It's not mine. I don't expect it. It's not mine. It's yours. It's what God has given you to provide for you. People who live a life of trouble so often. And their children today who are are draining their parents. Dry of financial resources because they think they're owed something. People who live a life of trouble and drama, wrong decision after wrong decision, and won't listen to wise counsel. But when there comes a need, when there becomes a need to be bailed out, the first phone call that's made is to mom and dad. And if they don't get bailed out by mom and dad, the next statement is, you don't love me. You don't love me. Shame on any child, no matter the age, that expects parents to fund an ungodly lifestyle. It ought not ever be. If you plan to live life apart from the Bible, don't take from mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or the church to do it. Don't do it. There was a demand that was made. It's all about me. Notice number next, there was a departure out of verse number 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, and he took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Here we see the departure. Not only did he say, give me what I want, but here we see the departure. And you could say, and you very well could say, this young man departed long time ago. He was living in the house, but he had departed because of his attitude a long time ago. But here he is gone. He's left out of the home. He has left his father's house. He's broken the family fellowship, and he he has broken his father's heart. Broken his father's heart. I see and I hear parents whose hearts are broken because of a prodigal. Broken the fellowship, left the home, walked away. It's a heart-rendering thing. And certainly there is much prayer. And I encourage those parents who are dealing with these kinds of difficulties, keep trusting God. Uh, This man, I believe this precious father kept on trusting God. And we see at the end of the story how God brought it to pass. God answered the prayer. Keep on praying. Keep on trusting. Keep on believing in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He left the home, broke the fellowship, 
He broke his father's heart. This young man wanted the bounty of his father, but without the fellowship of his father. He wanted the blessings, but he didn't want the father. America, it seems today, wants the blessings of God over all of us. We pray and we hear the politicians say, God bless America. While at the same time, we legislate God out of every institution, out of every fabric of our society. There is and has been, there is now, there has been, there continues to go forward a departure from God. You could say America is a prodigal from where it began. There was a demand. There was the departure. And notice verses 13, the latter part through 16, we see the depravity. The depravity. We see beginning in verse number 13 in the latter part. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have vain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. Here we see the depravity. It wasn't long after he made these decisions. It wasn't long after he demanded his way and after he departed from the protection of his home. And by the way, God gives protection in the home. There's an umbrella of protection within the family structure. When we break and we get out from under that umbrella of protection, we are left to the elements as they come. Don't get out from under the umbrella. Don't get out from that protection that God has provided. This young man got out from under that protection and there was depravity. It does not take long for the devil literally to suck the life's blood out of those who believe his lives and head off into a far country. It didn't take long for the devil to latch hold and literally take the life. The Bible says that he wasted He wasted. There was riotous living. Riotous living, worldly living, always produces misery in the end. It always produces misery in the end. He was in the hog pen of life. And yet the hogs were doing better than he was. They were doing better than he was. He was completely empty. He was bankrupt and he was hungry. The devil is, has fed him a, a bill of lies. And he, now he's trying to choke him on the husks that he's fed him. We see the depravity, the place that sin ends. But notice we begin to see something take place here. Not only do we see the demand, the departure, the depravity. But notice, and I'll call it this, the dumbness realized. The dumbness realized. Look at verse number 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? The dumbness realized. When he came to himself, he realized, Wow, how dumb have I been. How far off have I been from God's truth. Listen, it's just 
let me say it this way. And I'm not trying to be trite. It's just plain dumb to live the devil's way. To live for the devil. It's just plain dumb to live in the world. In the hog pen of society. It does not make sense. The Bible says he came to himself. And when he came to himself, there was a determination that was made. He says out of verses 18 through 20. I will arise and go to my father and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Once he realized the dumbness of sin. There was a determination that was made. Uh, this young man, uh, he came to this place of depravity and it humbled him. Sometimes God will let us get to the bottom of the barrel in order that he can get our attention. Sometimes he'll let us go all the way to the bottom so that he'll get our attention. This young man, his attention had been gotten. There was a humbling there was a recognition of sin. He wasn't, after all, as smart as he thought he was when he made the demands upon his father. There was a determination to come home. A determination to come home. To come home to his father. The prodigal recognized the value of his precious father. I will arise and go to my father's house. I admit my sin and I will repent of my sin. I will fall upon the mercy of my precious father. This young man got it. Praise God, he came home. But he came home. Why home? I believe he came home because of the preciousness of his father. He recognized the preciousness of his father. And lastly, in our text, I want us to see just one last thing as we go forward here. We see all these ways in which the prodigal had gone wrong, but it ended with a delightful reunion. Verses 20 and 24. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in thy sight I am no worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put, on, put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Here we see a delightful reunion. The prodigal knew that he could come home because he knew the character of his father. He knew the character of his precious father. What was his character? Well, I think we could see it out of the text. First of all, he knew that his daddy was godly. He knew that he had a godly father. How do we know this? Because he came to his father and he says, I have sinned. I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. 
How do we know that he was a heavenly father? Because this uh, godly father, because this father had taught him what sin was. He had taught him what the Bible says with regards to sin. This father, I believe, had been the spiritual head of his home. Would any of our children this morning, with regards to us, would any of our children describe us as godly? Would any of our children describe us as godly? That's convicting to me. They may describe us as all sorts of things. The best hunter, the best sportsman, the best mechanic, the best boatsman, and on and on it goes. The best builder, and on and on it goes. Nothing necessarily wrong with those things, but would the dominant trait be that of godliness? Godliness. A godly life is the greatest resource that you can ever possibly provide and leave for your children. A godly life is the greatest resource that you could ever provide and leave for your children. A child, someone said, a child is more likely to find a father in God if he finds something of God in his father. Do our children see God in us? Are kids finding God in us? little poem says this, Daddy had a little boy, his soul was white as snow. He never went to Sunday school because Daddy wouldn't go. He never heard the word of God that thrills the childish mind. While other children went to class, this child was left behind. As he grew from babe to youth, Dad saw to his dismay a soul that once was snowy white become a dingy gray. Realizing that his son was lost, dad tried to win him back. But now that soul that once was white had turned an ugly black. Dad even started back to church, the Bible study too. He begged the preacher, isn't there something that you can do? The preacher tried, failed and said, we're just too far behind. I tried to tell you years ago, but you would pay me no mind. And so another soul is lost that once was white as snow. Sunday school would have helped, but daddy wouldn't go. I wonder how many times we miss out on the opportunity to invest. Not just in Sunday school. All be in every service. Every time the doors are open. Have your children under the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. If they're not in here, they're getting the word of God up there. On Wednesday nights, if they're not in here, they're in the clubs getting the Bible. Pouring the Bible into them. Listen, would our children see us as godly? He knew that his father was godly. But not only did he know that, he also knew that his father was giving. Was giving. Ron Hamilton wrote a song that I appreciate so much. He says, when I enter heaven's glory and I see my father's face, I will offer him 10,000 years of praise. 
and I'll find that special one. And then I'll find that special one whose life I saw God's son. And through tears of joy, with trembling lips, these words I'll say, I saw Jesus in you. I saw Jesus in you. I could hear his voice in the words you said. I saw Jesus in you. In your eyes, I saw his care. I could see his love that was there. You were faithful. I saw Jesus in you. Not only did he see a godly father, but he saw a giving father. The father never gave up on his son. It says that when he was yet afar off, and I like to think that that father, he went out to that place, maybe in the morning, in the evening, maybe at mealtime, and he he looked off into the distance, and, and if there was a business that took place, maybe he couldn't be there to see. Maybe there's a dust cloud coming. Maybe that's him. Maybe he put people on post. You stay here and you watch. And you see some that comes, a one that comes. He looks like the, the younger son. You come running. You come tell me. He never gave up on his son. Notice the Bible says he gave compassion. He gave compassion. Our Heavenly Father gives compassion upon us. Aren't you thrilled about that? Not only did He give compassion, the Bible says He fell upon His neck and He kissed Him. He gave love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He gave forgiveness. For confess our sins, He who is God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He gave forgiveness. He gave acceptance. This is God's grace. He gave grace. A prodigal son realized the preciousness of his father. And he came home and found grace and forgiveness. In closing this morning, there may be some prodigals here today. I don't know. There may be some prodigals here today that need to come out of a faraway country and come home. Realize that you're a sinner. Realize that you've broken fellowship. Maybe from home or broken fellowship. From God himself. Recognize the precious gift of salvation. Be saved. Be recognized. Be reconciled rather to God. Maybe there's some prodigals that need to come home today. On this Father's Day. But one more thing. Maybe there's some prodigal sons or prodigal daughters but possibly just possibly there are some prodigal fathers as well made just made some mistakes along the way made some mistakes along with made some wrong decisions some wrong turns you sinned against the heavenly father you need a god in your home and god in your heart and put god back first place let me read you another little Something that has been written. Walk a little plainer, Daddy, said a little boy so frail. I'm following in your footsteps and I don't want to fail. Sometimes they are hard to see. So walk a little plainer, Daddy, for you are leading me. I know that once you walked this way many years ago, and what you did along the way, I'd really like to know. For sometimes when I'm tempted, I don't know what to do. So walk a little plainer, Daddy, for I must follow you. 
someday when I'm grown up, you are like I want to be when I have a little boy who'll want to follow me. And I want to lead him right and help him to be true. So walk a little plainer, Daddy, for I must follow you. How are we walking as daddies, as men, as leaders that God's called us to? Could we all stand a little bit of walking plainer? I think so. May God help us. If you're here today today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I encourage you to be saved. Trust Him. Be born again. Come to the Heavenly Father. He gives grace. He gives forgiveness. He welcomes home. Here today, and you're not exactly where you need to be with the Lord. Your walk with God, you know you're a born-again believer. I encourage you, Daddy, Grandpa, doesn't matter the age. We can all walk a little plainer in God's sight. I encourage you to do business with the Lord as He spoke to your heart. Let's bow in a word of prayer, please.